morning. All right, awesome. It's so good to see you all this morning. Uh, my name is Amos. I'm one of the uh, staff members here at the Village Church, and I stand up to uh, give you all a welcome and a couple of announcements. So welcome to the Village Church, where our mission is to know Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, and to glorify Jesus in all things. And our vision is broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. You're a guest with us today. Uh, we want to welcome you. And uh, there are guest information cards located just outside the sanctuary doors uh, in the narthex. Uh, if you're a guest here, again, please fill out one and drop it off in the basket. Uh, we would love to connect with you. Uh, we want to uh, extend a reminder that the nursery is now open. Uh, so the nursery is open today. And we also need volunteers for the rest of the month of September. And so uh, if you are uh, one of the Village Church faithful, uh, we uh, ask that you would reach out to Miss Tiffany Williams or email her at tiffany at enterthevillage.net. At the Village Church, we believe that uh, the giving of tithes and offerings is an act of worship. Uh, you may give to the vision and the mission of the Village Church by using the link on our church website, which is www.enterthevillage.net forward slash give. You can mail a check to our physical address, which is 2103 Virginia Boulevard, Huntsville, Alabama, 35811. Or after the service, you can drop off your offering in the designated area at the back of the sanctuary. Also, the Village Church will continue our corporate prayers on Wednesdays, uh, but we will have a little bit of a different uh, schedule. If you are unable to attend, you may join us via Zoom. Uh, the link and reminders for the times and location uh, will go out via Flocknote on Tuesdays. Uh, so sign up for Flocknote if you have not already. Lastly, if you're interested in learning more about the Village Church, we encourage you to sign up for our upcoming enter the village class on the sheet that is located in the narthex or again you can email us uh, at the church office our enter the village class will be uh, starting on september the 26th at 9:15 a.m and we'll meet over in the village church narthex that's that building uh, that's kind of back over there so these are our announcements please govern yourselves accordingly Good morning. There we are. <laughs> oh, let's take a few moments to prepare our hearts for worship. Um, I don't remember if I shared this. I don't remember if I shared this last Sunday. But, um, my children and I have been reading through the Book of Acts um, because I'm I'm a teacher and I'm trying to you know be proactive and help support my children in their pursuit of discipleship at the village church because Mr. Lyle is reading Act, through Acts with the youth and it's been a while 
since I've read Acts. And the thing that's been really, um, I don't want to say interesting because that's not a strong enough word, but uh, enlightening, illuminating to me um, is when the spirit moves, when the word goes forth, Luke is the, the author. He's very careful to say something like, and the people were astonished, and the people were amazed. Right? The spirit would move, and it wasn't just because someone was healed. right? You kind of expect that. If you see the guy who's never been able to walk, and after 40 years he can get up and walk, like you expect everybody to be blown away by that. But even when the apostles are are speaking and just telling telling it like it is, Luke is careful to say, and the people were astonished. All the, all those who heard were amazed and astonished. And the first time I went, oh wow, and then the next time I went, oh okay, and it keeps saying that. And it made me think about myself and how often um, I'm not astonished at what God does every day, right? How often I'm, I take for granted his grace and mercy and leaving us his word as a testimony to teach us. And it made me think about our congregation and wonder, when we come in here on Sunday morning, are we astonished by the move of God? Are we astonished when the man of God stands up to um, to to preach and speak to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. When we sing our songs, is it just okay? We're singing because that's what we do, or are we astonished at what the songs are saying and how the, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us through those songs? And so I want us to just take a moment to just think about like how, how good God is, how awesome He is, um, and. And if you, if your brain can't go there, because sometimes mine can't, ask the Spirit to open your mind and your heart today. Ask the Spirit to allow you to delight in Him. The Word says, if we delight ourselves in the Lord, He will give us the desires of our heart. And that's not just stuff. That's desiring more of Him. So let's take a few moments right now to just ask the Lord to allow us to desire Him so that we want to praise Him this Just wanna praise you. Please stand forever and ever and ever for all you've done for 
just want to praise you forever and ever.
and strength. They all belong to the Most High God. Amen. And we say hallelujah this morning. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, this morning. Amen. Amen. We have a lot to be excited about, even when we don't feel like it. Or you guys feel like it all the time. I don't. (laughs) But God is still good. (laughs) Amen. His mercy endures forever. And we were created to give him glory, blessings and glory and honor. Be unto our God. Our call to worship this morning is from the song, the hymn, To God Be the Glory. Please join with me where it notes congregation. It's on the screen for people in the room. It's on the screen as well in your worship guide. To God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life and atonement for sin. And open the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory. Great things he has done. Amen. Amen. Let's give him glory. Your 
be seated as we continue to worship the Lord. Good morning, good morning. Thank you for the feedback. Um, now is the time when we focus on the sins that we may have committed, sins of omission and sins of commission over the week. We reflect on how good our God is and how faithful he is to us. He's faithful to forgive us all our sins, says scriptures in the word of God. And our scripture comes from Job 13 to 23. How many are the iniquities in my sins? Make me know my transgressions and my sin. Now we have silent meditation where we focus on how great our God is to forgive. shows and demonstrate his love for us how he's always given us a way of escape he didn't let us die in our sin he looked past our faults and saw our need we was helpless and harassed like a sheep without a shepherd I love that because I know I have hope I have a future I have a refuge I got a, man I got a bridge over troubled water oh man I got a battle axe a strong tower got a good God. We don't have to uh, walk in sin. We don't have to labor in sin. But we can rejoice that he's given us a way of escape. And that scripture comes from Isaiah 118. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. We serve a great God. Amen. Amen.
you, everyone. Uh, please join with me as we uh, go before the Lord in prayer. Father, Lord, as we prepare our hearts uh, to read from your word in preparation for today's sermon, the passage addresses uh, the events leading up to Jesus' second coming. And Lord, I'm reminded of the state of our world. Uh, specifically, I think of uh, our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. Uh, many have died in your name and faithfulness to you, Lord. Others may be dying as we speak and in the immediate future. Lord, your word says that the death of your saints are precious in your sight. Lord, we, just, we ask that you come alongside the believers in Afghanistan, the believers, those who will place their faith in you uh, throughout that nation. I think of China and when the missionaries were expelled, and, and from human eyes, the country was cut off from the rest of the world, yet you use that to grow exponentially your church. Father, we pray you do that now in Afghanistan, in the midst of the Taliban, in the midst of ISIS, and in the midst of any other terrorist group, in the midst of the worshipers of Islam, that you grow your church. Amaze us, Lord. Amaze this world with your faithfulness, the, the coming together of your promises. Lord, the Afghan people that... Uh, have arrived and are arriving here on the United States shores. I pray that you connect them as well as other internationals and immigrants you've drawn to this nation, to this land. Connect them with believers throughout our nation that they may live out their faith in front of them. And as you draw people from every tongue, tribe, and nation to yourself. Lord, I pray for our nation, uh, even though this is a global pandemic and the, in the uh, face of, of uh, the coronavirus. Uh, in speaking with other members of this church uh, who have lost families as myself, we thank you for the lives of those who've already gone just through coronavirus and now through the, uh, the Delta variant. Uh, we thank you for the grace in sparing the lives of those who've you've spared and we thank you for the lives lived for those who died even most recently even as of yesterday father across our congregation uh, we have illnesses in our bodies uh, our family members our loved ones suffer from ailments such as cancer uh, we have aging parents we ourselves have uh, challenges and illnesses and things that, that, that challenge us. Lord, have mercy. Extend grace. Help us to walk uh, in the midst of these challenges that we face and as we walk with our loved ones. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. We know your promises are true regardless of what we or other members of our global family face. We ask that you help us to remember them in our prayers and not be so focused on ourselves and what we encounter. Lord, we thank you, we love you, and we bless your holy name. 
Amen. Uh, Today's passage comes from Matthew, beginning in chapter 30, correction 23, verse 37, and continuing on through chapter 24 to verse 13, I'm sorry, verse 14, starting in 37, chapter 23. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And chapter 24. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will, be, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As the sun set on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes and various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for, the, for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. And because, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Then the end will come. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Thank you so much for uh, that passionate prayer and also passionate reading of, of God's word. I always say that uh, there is a special gift uh, for reading God's word well. And so I thank you for, for uh, paying close attention to the points of emphases in the, in the biblical text. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, uh, Matthew 23 verses uh, 37 uh, 
to the end of the chapter, also at Matthew 24, uh, verses 1 through 14. Now, let's go to our Lord in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, you are good. You are God who is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You keep steadfast love for thousands. You forgive iniquity and transgression and sin, but you are a God who will by no means clear the guilty. So, Father, since that is your character, we put our hope our faith, our trust in you and in you alone. Lord, bless the preaching of your word this morning. Spirit, move in a special way because if you don't move, these are just words of hot air that I'm spewing out on this morning. So we need you to move, Lord. Glorify yourself. Use me as your vessel. It is in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that I do pray. Amen. So as we continue our series through the Gospel of Matthew, we have come to one of the most difficult exegetical challenges in the entire Bible. It's not a joke. That's real. The interpretation of Jesus' Olivet Discourse found in Matthew 24 is highly debated among biblical scholars and teachers of the Bible. Uh, D.A. Carson, a renowned New Testament scholar and emeritus professor of New Testament at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, has this to say about the Olivet Discourse. Few chapters of the Bible have called forth more disagreement among interpreters than Matthew 24 and its parallels in Matthew 13 and Luke 21. The history of the interpretation of this passage is immensely complex, end quote. My brothers and sisters, to say that I am overwhelmed by the immensity of this passage would be an understatement. People who are much smarter than me and who are more well-read than I ever will be have come to varying conclusions about Jesus' words in this passage. But my task today is not to simply educate you with the nuances of theological debates. Although that stuff is intriguing to me, it's important. My task today is to call us all to faith and repentance in light of the words of the Lord Jesus in this passage. And this passage demonstrates to us that sinners, we as sinners, we are prone to reject God's offer of love and protection. It also demonstrates to us the consequences of rejecting God's love and embracing the systems of the world. But my brothers and sisters, this passage also promises the people of God salvation for accepting God's love and enduring to the end. I've got a question for you. Have you ever been heartbroken? I know I have. It doesn't feel good. I don't recommend it. Outside of 
actual physical pain, having your heart broken is probably the worst feeling in the world. Perhaps some would even say that being heartbroken is worse than physical pain. Heartbreak can leave you stressed, depressed, angry, shiftless, and hopeless. Heartbreak can snatch your joy and leave you in a pit of sorrow. And my brothers and sisters, I want to pause here parenthetically and tell, the, and tell you that if you are downcast, if you are brokenhearted right now, Psalm 34 tells us that our Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. Are you brokenhearted? Is your soul downcast? I want to encourage you that there is hope in the Lord Jesus. He offers rest by the power of his spirit. And the Lord offers you the embrace and the love of Christian community. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. So I encourage you, if you find yourself heartbroken, if you find yourself lonely, if you find yourself downcast, go to your brothers and sisters to be embraced and reminded of the steadfast love that the Father has for you. Recall the words of Hebrews 4.15, which say of the Lord Jesus, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. My brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus knows also what it means to be brokenhearted. And at the beginning of our passage, we find a brokenhearted Lord grieving and lamenting over Jerusalem. In verses 37 through 39, Jesus is grieving over Jerusalem because they have rejected him. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered you, your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And you were not willing. See. Your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, there are some who have actually used verses 37 through 39 and Jesus' previous words in chapter 23 to justify ideas of anti-Semitism. Any use of this passage or any other passage in the Bible to justify anti-Semitism or racism is not only a gross misreading of the biblical text, it is downright repugnant. And although Jesus had harsh words for the Pharisees throughout the book of Matthew, particularly here in chapter 23, his words are never a rejection of all ethnically Jewish people. Jesus himself was a Jewish man. His disciples were Jewish men. The people, the men and women who were following him were Jewish people. So in verse 37 through 39, Jesus is grieved because of the rejection of the Jewish religious leaders. And he is mourning the fact that the Jewish religious leaders in Jerusalem have caused many to reject the love and salvation that he longed to give them. Jesus' grief is 
demonstrated by the double use of the word Jerusalem in verse 37. We see grief expressed in a similar way by King David in 2 Samuel 18. 1833, uh, when after the, the, the murder of his son Absalom, David cries out, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I had died instead of you, O Absalom, my son, my son. So in a similar way, Jesus is expressing extreme heartbreak. He is lamenting over Jerusalem because Jesus desired to gather the people of Jerusalem together and to love and protect Jerusalem like a mother hen does her chicks. I don't know I, I don't know if you've ever seen a mom get overprotective of her kids. We call it the mother bear syndrome. And this is what Jesus is communicating here. He wants to protect and gather the the people of Jerusalem. And there is a there was a play on the idea of gathering here between Jesus who is the true temple. We find that Jesus is the true temple in John chapter 2 where he declares, uh, tear this temple down. He was talking about the temple of his body and he will resurrect it in three days. So Jesus uh, is the true temple and there is a play on gathering between Jesus and Herod's temple in Jerusalem. You see, Jesus wanted to gather the people of Jerusalem to himself in the way that they would gather at the temple in Jerusalem. But because the religious leaders rejected the true temple who is Christ, Jesus says in verse 38 that your house is left to you desolate. Now, this magnificent temple, this beautiful edifice was built with precious stones and filled with precious metals, but it was empty. It was desolate because it was missing the most important thing. What Jesus is saying in this passage is that the rejection of Christ, the rejection of the true temple who is the Lord Jesus Christ himself has led to the spirit of God departing from the temple. In verse 39, Jesus prophesies that although he is being rejected now, there will be a day, there will come a day when he returns in glory and majesty where the people of Jerusalem will have to acknowledge that he is the one, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. I want us to see something very particular here. Look at the first part of Matthew 24, verse 1. The first clause which is a segment of a sentence. Let's go back to grade school for a minute. The first clause of Matthew 24, verse 1, is meant to serve as a picture for what Jesus just described in Matthew 23, verses 37 through 39. The first clause says Jesus left the temple and was going away. My brothers and sisters, it is no mere coincidence that immediately following Jesus' pronouncement that the temple is desolate, that the Lord Jesus has now pictured leaving the temple. It is a picture of a sobering and heartbreaking reality. 
The Spirit of God has left the temple, and now Jesus is leaving the temple, never to return to it again. And he knows what is coming for this temple, this beautiful edifice, this magnificent structure in the future. So let's read all of verse 1 now. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. My brothers and sisters, the, 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 the temple in Jerusalem must have been a sight to see. Uh, the parallel accounts of the Olivet Discourse, uh, which is what we're going through now, in Mark 13 and Luke 21 Uh, they actually comment on how magnificent the temple was. And one rabbinic author describes the temple with these words. He who has never saw Herod's edifice has never in his life seen a a beautiful building. The beauty of the temple must have been unparalleled. But I want you to see something, again, peculiar, because I'm taken aback by Jesus' response to the disciples' praise for the temple. Jesus is simply unimpressed. And not only was Jesus unimpressed, he had a word or two to say about the temple. This temple, this God-forsaken edifice. Let's look at verse number 2 of chapter 24. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. With all of its beauty, with all of its splendor and majesty, there would come a day when this magnificent edifice would be no more than an ash heap. So the temple is already desolate. That's a present tense verb in the passage, in the the Greek. And now it's going to be destroyed. And my brothers and sisters, the, the words of Jesus must have shaken the disciples to their core because the, the destruction of the temple, it must have meant the end of the world, right? I still remember where I was on that day 20 years ago, almost 20 years ago. I was in eighth grade homeroom in Coach Penley's social studies class. And every time I think about that day, the events of that day, I am a 13-year-old boy all over again. And on the morning of September the 11th, 2001, when those planes crashed into the World Trade Center and into the Pentagon and into a field in Pennsylvania, you cannot convince me that the world was not coming to an end. I was shaken. I was terrified. I didn't want to leave the school. I wanted to uh, be with my family. I didn't want to uh, go anywhere. I thought that the world was coming to an end. And in Matthew 24, verse 2, Jesus tells the disciples that the most important building, the central monument for the life and religious practice of Jewish society and culture, the temple, the house of God, is going to be decimated. It's going to be destroyed. The disciples assumed that the destruction of the temple meant the end of the world. So in verse 3, 
the disciples ask Jesus a series of questions. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when these things, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, the next verse of our chapter begins the Olivet Discourse proper. Now, just a, a bit of a, head, a heads up. Uh, the pace of this sermon is about to slow down quite a bit. But please stay with me. I promise I will try to pick up the pace again toward the end, but this is a monumentally important passage of Scripture. So let me take you out of seminary class for a second. If you have a red-letter Bible, you can probably see that all of the words for the next two chapters are completely red. That means that Jesus is doing all the talking now. So we should perk up a little bit. Now, considering the Olivet Discourse, there are different interpretive perspectives concerning Jesus' words. Now, the different perspectives uh, can still be within the bounds of Christian orthodoxy. It doesn't mean just because you have a different view of Jesus' words in Matthew 24 and 25. It doesn't mean that you're a heretic. Uh, There is a spectrum of of perspectives uh, within the bounds of Christian orthodoxy. So as I mentioned from the outset of this sermon, there is no little debate about Jesus' words that start here in Matthew 24, verse 4, and continue through chapter 25. Again, there are several acceptable evangelical perspectives that I want to share with you briefly. Uh, But I also want to share with you what I believe is the best understanding of Jesus' words as well. Now, there are some biblical teachers who say that Jesus' prophetic words in the Olivet Discourse have already taken place and that they have little to no bearing on Christians today. Uh, This is known as the preterist view. Now, a preterite is a grammatical term for an event that occurred in the past that had a definite beginning and a definite end, like, uh, I don't know, George Bush was the president from the year of 2000 to 2008. That's a preterite. We don't use the word preterite much in English grammar anymore, Uh, so the preterite tense is often called the simple past in English grammar. Now, there are other Bible teachers who say that most, if not all, of Jesus' prophetic words in the Olivet Discourse were for a future people and had little to no bearing on the disciples to whom he was speaking. This is simply called the futurist view. Are y'all still with me? All right, great. Again, I want to stress to you that both of these views, which are are part of the majority views of uh, the Olivet Discourse, Uh, Both of these views are within the boundaries of Christian orthodoxy. Many of your favorite Bible teachers hold to these views. For example, R.C. Sproul, who is a Presbyterian pastor and theologian, was a preterist, held to a preterist view. John MacArthur uh, holds to a futurist view of the Olivet Discourse. Now, 
I believe there are issues with both the preterist view and the futurist view. As we will see as we work through the Olivet Discourse over the next few weeks, because we're going to be in chapter 24 and 25 for a while, some of the passage, some of the events in the passage have already happened in history, like the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, uh, which took place in 70 A.D., Uh, But some of the events have not yet happened, mainly the parousia, uh, which is a, you know, $5 word for the second advent of the Lord Jesus. I hold to a view that sees some of the events of the Olivet Discourse as already being fulfilled, but some have not yet been fulfilled. So in the Olivet Discourse, my view and uh, the view of many theologians like uh, Dr. Kim Riddlebarger, uh, in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus is prophesying about things that will surely happen without regard to particular time frames. So, an example, in Matthew 24, verse 36, Jesus says about his own parousia, his own second coming, but concerning that day, And our, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Now, we're going to get to that because that's a whole thing within itself. Uh, But again, I hold to a view that Jesus is prophesying about events that will surely happen without respect to precise, uh, precise time frames. Okay, that concludes your seminary lesson for today. I told you I was going to pick up the pace in the sermon again, and that moment is right now. Uh, So I want to reread verses 3 through 14 to emphasize what Jesus is saying is most important. Again, I love the minutia of the theological views and theological debates, but uh, those those conversations are not trifles. They're not unimportant, but the Lord Jesus is emphasizing something very particular in the Olivet Discourse. So verses 3 through 14. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ or the Messiah, and they will lead many astray, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are but the beginnings of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. 
And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. Then the end will come. I hope you can see in these verses what is most important to the Lord Jesus. Now, the Lord Jesus is answering the disciples' questions because he is gracious and because he cares about the concerns of his disciples. But Jesus is emphasizing the disposition and character that the disciples and the church must have as these things happen, as these things take place. He begins in uh, chapter 24, verse 4, uh, the Olivet Discourse by warning the disciples not to be led astray. He warns them that that many false messiahs will come. They will uh, think and believe and tell people that they are the Lord Jesus. He also warns them that there will be wars and rumors of wars continually. But again, in verse number 6, Jesus emphasizes Christian character by telling them, don't become an alarmist when you see these things. All of these things, the wars, the, the, the false messiahs, all of these things are according to God's plan. They don't catch the Lord Jesus by surprise. They don't catch God by surprise. And as a matter of fact, they are signs that what Jesus is saying will surely come to pass. And in verse number 7, Jesus says that there will be human disasters, but there will also be natural disasters. But then in verse 8, he tells them that this is only the beginning. So, I know y'all know about them. When you hear all of the latest Christian conspiracy theories about the things that we see happening in the world or when false prophecy, uh, prof, false prophets prophesy, that's a tongue twist, false prophets prophesy and make precise predictions about when the Lord Jesus will return based on our tragedies and calamities that are happening in our world, you can be sure of two things. They have no clue what they're talking about. But you can also be sure that the, the words of our Lord Jesus are true. And then in verse 9, Jesus speaks about the persecution that would actually come directly to the disciples and to the church. The people of God would be killed and hated for the name and for the cause of Christ. We see that happening today, as Dennis mentioned in his prayer, what's happening in Afghanistan and what, what continues to happen in other nations around the world. There will be many who uh, will appear to be walking with the Lord Jesus also who will fall away because of the persecution uh, that will come. Christians will betray other Christians. The Gospel of Luke uh, even goes as far as saying that brothers will turn in brothers. They will betray mothers, will betray their children. Fathers will betray their children. And along with the false messiahs, there will also be false prophets who will arise and seduce people away from faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus warns the disciples in verse 12 for some things that will get so bad that people will literally become cold. Their hearts, their disposition 
will become cold. People will become numb to the things that are happening in society because of the unchecked depravity that they will see. And my brothers and sisters, simply when I survey the landscape of history, everything that Jesus is saying in these verses has been true at various points throughout history. So we can take confidence in the words of the Lord Jesus here. So when tragedies arise, they may shake us for a moment, but they cannot and they will not steal our joy. They cannot steal the hope that the church has in Christ. There is a gospel song, one of my favorite songs of all time, that says, tragedies are commonplace. I wish I had a little voice so I could sing it right now. Tragedies are commonplace, all kinds of diseases. People are slipping away, economies down. People can't get enough pay, but as for me, all I can say is thank you, Lord, for all you've done for me. My brothers and sisters, tragedies are real. Suffering is real, and this overcooks my grits right here. If I hear another sermon that romanticizes suffering as if people aren't allowed to lament and grieve and mourn and experience real pain, my head may explode. The Lord Jesus knows that we're going to suffer, and he knows that it's going to be painful. But the Lord Jesus also knows and promises that there will be those who will be able to endure because the Lord Jesus will suffer and endure with us. And in verse 13, Jesus offers salvation, a sure salvation to those who endure to the end. My brothers and sisters, this is the great promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will give us rest from the heartbreak. He will give us rest from the toil. He will give us rest from the wickedness of this world. And I want you to see something else that's quite peculiar to me. And in verse number 14, our last verse of the passage for today, Jesus again emphasizes what is of utmost importance to him. The Lord Jesus says that the gospel will be proclaimed to all nations. And then the end will come. This gospel, my brothers and sisters, that we carry is special. This is a special message that we have. And no other organization, no other, uh, no other uh, a committee or, 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 or whatever, no other nation, uh, nobody else has what we have. <laughs> Jesus emphasizes the proclamation of the gospel, that the gospel will go forth even despite the reality of suffering and persecution. Persecution has never stopped the church. As a matter of fact, there's a famous quote that I believe is in Fox's book, uh, Book of Martyrs, that says, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. So, we like Bebe's kids. I know probably some of y'all don't know who that is. Bebe's kids, we don't die. We multiply. So my brothers and sisters, I pray that we will all believe and share this gospel of truth with the world because it is only in Christ, in Christ alone, that we find true salvation. It is the only place where salvation can be found. It is only in Christ that true hope can be found. And my brothers and sisters, what is this gospel that we proclaim? 
it is the power of God unto salvation for all who will believe. It is the truth, the reality that God the Son took on flesh and tabernacled. He templed and dwelt with us, the true temple with us. He died for our sins, but uh, the miraculous thing is that he didn't stay dead after three days. He rose, declaring that all authority in heaven and in earth belonged to him. And he offers this salvation through the church. I can't wait till we get to, to the end of Matthew. When we get to uh, look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, where Jesus declares that all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Now you as my disciples go and share the gospel to every nation, teaching them. All that I have taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful celebration that already is. Because my brothers and sisters, we are proof. We are the living proof that the Lord Jesus' words are true. We are the ends of the world. We are the fruit of the gospel truth. So I pray that you would understand how precious the gospel that you carry is and that you would share it fervently, passionately, because it is the hope of the world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that your word is true. We can stand on it. We can trust it and believe it. So God, we pray that we would be the ambassadors that we have been made to be because we are new creatures, new creations in Christ. Your church has the message and the ministry of reconciliation to the whole world. And that message of Reconciliation is that God in Christ, by the power of the Spirit, has redeemed mankind back to himself. And that our triune God is cosmically redeeming all of creation. There is reconciliation that happens between God and man. There is reconciliation that happens between man and man. And there is also even reconciliation that happens between man and the earth. This is the gospel truth that we carry. And God, you are redeeming it all. This is my Father's world. It is in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit that we do pray. Amen.
Lord. He is Lord. He is Lord. Amen. Please remain standing for our benediction. Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen. Go in grace.